love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. Growing up in Muscatine, Iowa, there were not kids like me, you know, who wanted to build a two-headed beam-splitting optical printer and learn more about atonement theory. So, you know, so one of the great things that the podcast has done is it lets me be in relationship with people that are pursuing the same kinds of things that I love. And that yeah. makes me feel a little less like a freak in a castle, <laughs> and a little more like a person with a tribe. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and we help you build better relationships. And today, we are continuing our series on the nine desires, specifically talking about the desire to be competent. If you haven't already, go back, listen to episode 85 with Dr. Kurt Thompson to hear some of the foundation that we have built around exploring our desire. In this series, we will start every episode with two foundational ideas. Number one, God created humans to desire. And number two, our desires are drawn toward what we find beautiful. Okay, so in this episode, we are going to focus on the desire to be competent, the desire to be wise, Mm -hmm. the desire to be informed and to make informed decisions Mm -hmm. about life, to feel that we have what it takes to meet the demands of the world. Right. And this desire to be competent, you know, we find to be closely tied to the desire for security, you know, that it feels safe to feel like we know all the things and Mm -hmm. that we can meet the needs whenever they arise. So... These people might say, I'm searching for a place where I can feel safe and secure. And the place I feel that is withdrawing into my mind. Mm -hmm. So if you find this to be one of your driving motives, you may be a type five or a member of the head triad. Mm -hmm. And it does. It It has so much to do with all the unknowns of life. Yeah. All these unknowns are coming at me and all these unknowns are happening all the time. And if I could just understand if mm-hmm. I could just make sense of all the facts and figures, then I could find a safe way forward. I could find a path. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the desire to be competent, we have three paths that we can take. So we're going to take a look at what happens when the desire to be competent becomes exaggerated, what happens when the desire to be competent becomes diminished, and what happens when it's healthy. So first, let's take a look at What happens when it gets supercharged and goes haywire? Yes. So when this longing is distorted, you know, we go into the false self and we take our desire to be competent, you know, just to be able to move in our world in a safe way. And we settle for being all knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels really similar. 
And in our quest to be all-knowing, we become greedy for more. Mm -hmm. You know, we need more knowledge. We need more time alone. You know, we want to protect our resources, our energy. And then we end up isolated from God, from ourselves, and from others because we have this fear in what we lack. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, when this desire to be competent does become exaggerated, I just think about how much pressure that is. Mm -hmm. Like, a a profound amount of pressure. I need to read the next thing. I need to study the next thing. Mm -hmm. I need to research the next thing. It's just, it's this sense in which, like, when is enough knowledge enough? Mm -hmm. And it's very easy that when we go to these places where we really feel the pressure, I need to know all the things. Mm Just I want to be left alone, like leave me alone so I can study and get the information I need in order to handle things. All the while, your relational world is on fire. Yeah. Because you're hunkered down and hyper focused, you know, on the thing in front of you. Yeah. I was reading Beatrice Chestnut. She talks about how fives can have this. Well, we we think that they have a superiority complex Mm because they have all this knowledge and they're hiding away, you know, in their mind castle. But really, they have this inferiority complex of I don't have what it takes. And that produces fear. And then I think when we know that about fives, it creates a lot more compassion Mm -hmm. for what's going on within them when they're seeking withdrawal. They're seeking to know everything. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, it does. It totally offers us more compassion. But let me offer another side, which is um, I'm a heart triad person. Mm-hmm. When I encounter an unhealthy five, when their their need to be competent is like super mm-hmm. exaggerated, I can tell almost instantaneously because my own shame starts to come mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. because there is that tendency in the unhealthy five when they're not doing their relational work that they they kind of they lose their social skills yeah and they are so facts and figures zeros and ones that then i show up and i'm you know i'm being real social and very mm-hmm. expressive and i'm waving my hands around and there's just no reaction happening yeah. so there's real relational consequences absolutely when this desire gets out of hand mm-hmm. So when talking about an exaggerated desire, um, another thing that we need to consider is the role of grief and trauma in our story. Those of us who long to be competent, to really, you know, be wise, I want to have all the information I need to navigate this world, we may have experienced themes of neglect or themes of being engulfed and receive the message that it's not okay to be too comfortable in this world or to even have your own needs. Because needs may not get met. Needs create deficits. Mm -hmm. It's better to have very little need. And this makes life hard. Yeah, I can just picture, you know, a child who maybe had really pretty fine parents. You know, let's just say average. Average to good parents. But maybe they're preoccupied and they didn't know they're going to come to their parent with a feeling Or like, look at this. And the parent's like, can't you see I'm busy? Mm. Well, children can't see that we're busy. I'm learning that as a mother that like I've said something like that to my children. Like, can you not see my hands in the dishwasher? But they don't because they have their own little worlds. Mm -hmm. But then another time that they come and they're like, look at this. And the parent is like, oh, my gosh, tell me every single thing. And they're like, whoa, that was more than I wanted to give. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's that impredictability, I think, even more than the lack or the excess of like, I don't know what I'm going to get. So I don't feel prepared. Mm -hmm. And so what I can do to be prepared is to just hunker down inside myself. Mm -hmm. 
And the deal is this, though, like the greater that the fear is, the greater the fear is that they're not going to have the information and the knowledge that they need to be able to navigate life. The greater that fear is, the more tempted any of us are going to be to exaggerate it. Yes, right? absolutely. So to overcompensate for whatever it is that we think that we lack. So I'm worried that I'm not going to know enough. So mm-hmm. I need to know way more than necessary. Yeah, exactly. So if you are someone who's living in a regular fear that you're going to be overwhelmed by the demands of life or maybe you're not going to be enough for the people around you, no one's going to meet your own needs, here's the question to ask yourself. What happened in my youth, you know, in these formative years where I felt that I was engulfed or neglected? And what is one small step that I can take to acknowledge this wound and begin to do the wound, the work, begin to do the work of letting this wound heal. Yeah, yeah. And we've said, you know, in every episode, whatever, what goes unhealed eventually goes septic. If we refuse to acknowledge something, we're also refusing to let God heal it. Mm-hmm. So there is, there's this, there's a, a responsibility on all of us to go back to the source. Where yeah. is it coming from that you feel so much pressure to know and understand everything. This good gift, this good gift that you want to be wise, you want to be informed, but the gift eventually enslaves you and becomes so dominating that it's hurting other areas of your life. What happened that caused that? And the more work that you can do to go back and really look at the origin of that, it's going to lend itself to you not being quite so overtaken mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens uh, when the desire to be competent becomes exaggerated. Let's talk a little bit about what happens when people don't have this desire. I don't particularly care about being competent. Yeah. I don't really particularly care about the facts or the figures or the history or how we got to where we are right now. None of that matters to me. I'm operating in a very different way in this world. Who cares about competency? Right. What is at stake? Well, when any desire is exaggerated— We know that it's going to demand all the other desires to either serve it, help it get bigger, or they're going to silence those desires completely, put them offline as much as possible so they can either serve it or be slain by it, which we're calling diminished. Yeah. So if you don't have a lot of this desire to be competent, which let me say this, part of the desire to be competent requires solitude. Mm-hmm. Part of the desire to be competent means you've got to be willing to sit with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Part of the desire to be competent means you have to be able to slow down and really actually study things, mm-hmm. research things, put mm-hmm. two and two together. There, It's mental work and the ability to be alone with yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have no desire for those <laughs> things, I say those things and in your gut you're just going, oh. I hate what yeah. you just said. Ask yourself why. What other desire is competing with the necessary desire to be competent? Yeah. Something else is coming up inside of you, and it's killing off this thing that we need in order to be well-formed people. In order for us to be disciples of Jesus and to be yeah. you know, mature people, we need to be wise, and we need to be informed, and we need to be competent. So do you worry that the desire to be competent, which requires all the things I just said— Do you worry that it's going to impact what other people think of you? Mm -hmm. Other people are going to forget about me if I go away. Yeah. Do you worry that it's somehow going to restrict your freedom? I just want to do what I want to do. Why do I need to slow down and think about Mm -hmm. it? 
Do you worry that it's going to threaten your security? And by that, I don't necessarily just mean that other people are going to say something unkind to you. What I'm saying is, do you worry it's going to make you anxious? Mm -hmm. Do you worry that it's going to put you in situations where the embodied experience of slowly thinking through things feels intolerable to you? Yeah. What's going on there? Um, if you don't care about being competent and knowledgeable, ask yourself, what competing desire do you have that feels threatened by this one? Yes. Well, let's talk about what it looks like when it's healthy. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we just talked about you do need every Yeah, all so what of the what do I desires. do when it's exaggerated? Yeah. What do I do when it's diminished? Okay, let's let's talk about a path forward. Yes. And so our guiding principle here is what Jesus has told us should be our chief desire. The desire to lead all others should be to love God, love other people as we love ourselves. Yeah. So when this desire is exercised by what we refer to as the true self, mm -hmm. that is who we are hidden in Christ with God, mm -hmm. it looks like wisdom. Yeah. When people encountered Jesus, they encountered wisdom. Mm -hmm. He was informed. He knew the truth of the scriptures. He knew the he had the ability to draw them out at the exact moment in the exact ways. It was about applying the right information in the right way at the right moment to the right person. Right. And uh, and we have to uh, pursue that a, a vision for Jesus. I want to be wise, just as you're wise. I want to know how to navigate all the grays of life. Um, uh, when uh, you are pursuing this desire and it's healthy, you're going to be able to trust God's abundance in the midst of the chaotic demands of the world. The big lie that so many of us believe is that, uh, that this world doesn't have enough. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough. I need more. The world only has so much to go around. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go get mine, mm -hmm. and usually that comes in the form of I'm gonna I'm gonna hunker down, yeah. or I'm gonna go do some dog and pony show to attract people, but I'm gonna avoid the actual work of being wise. Right, but when we are living in that abundance, we see you know if we move out of the scarcity mindset, what comes is generosity, and we're not just talking about generosity as far as finances, but that is included. You know, that's always a good first step. But we're talking about generosity of your whole self, of your resources, of your energy, giving yourself to God and others through concrete acts of giving more than required. Mm -hmm. Like you're going beyond the bare minimum in mm -hmm. your relationships. And then that's going to lead to the flourishing of all of the gifts that the five brings, which is perception, reflection and objective perspectives. And Jesse, what I like that you said about, you know, Jesus when he was walking the earth and his wisdom, it wasn't just, I know the Father's will and I've memorized the Torah. Like you said, he knew the right thing for the right person mm -hmm. at the right time. So mm -hmm. he was engaging in those relationships and knowing as much about those people he was ministering to or disputing with as he did about the actual facts mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this desire to be competent, I mean, it could be said this way as well, that if you find in yourself that your desire to be competent has become exaggerated, it's too much. Mm -hmm. You're spending too much time alone. Your, your deep dives into things are coming at the expense yeah. of the relationships in your life. The response, the way to get this to come back into perspective is to be relationally generous with the people around you. Mm -hmm. That will bring wisdom back to where it's supposed to be. Now, if you're somebody that 
You don't care much about it. You don't want to read. Mm-hmm. You don't want to study. You don't want to be thoughtful. You don't want to. You don't want to look into the facts beforehand. That is the work. The work is how can you bake into your schedule some time where you study, where you slow down, where you have silence and solitude, um, because the, doing that practice absolutely will increase your wisdom and your capacity to know how to apply God's truth in the right way at the right times. So those are our notes on the desire to be competent, but we want to hear from someone that identifies this desire as a driving force in their personality. So today, we have Phil Vischer with us. Phil is an author, speaker, filmmaker, and voice actor best known for the Christian children's series Veggie Tales, which he created in a spare bedroom as a 25-year-old newly married starving artist. Since then, Phil has continued to pursue innovative ways to integrate faith, and storytelling through fun and practical resources for families. Collectively, Phil's creations, which include the educational series Buck Denver Asks, What's in the Bible, and the autobiographical book Me, Myself, and Bob, have sold more than 70 million copies around the world. In addition, he does not just create content for children. You Mm -hmm. can also check out his incredible podcast, The Holy Post, that explores what it means to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. They discuss lots of lighthearted topics (laughs) that are very easy to digest. The opposite of that. Uh, Phil and his wife, Lisa also known as Junior Asparagus from VeggieTales. Uh, they live in West Chicago, Illinois. They have three adult children and two grandchildren. Welcome to the show, Phil. Whee! Thanks for having me. <laughs> you keep having people I know on, but you avoid me like the plague, and it's very offensive. <laughs> Consider those. Those were the buildup. Those were just us practicing oh, right. for this moment. We were just whetting your appetites. Right. Yeah, want to come. Right. Right. In. If we make you just insecure in the wrong way, then eventually <laughs> then, you'll yeah. want to hang out with I'm us. I'm jealous now. It's like, hey, oh, oh, they had you on too? What's going on here? You know, it's like when someone has coffee with all of your friends, but then yeah. doesn't have coffee Rude. with you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad this is happening. I'm glad yeah. this is happening. Okay, so, so we're doing a whole series on desire. That's the big point. But I actually don't want to go into that first. I actually okay. want to talk about something else first. A lot of the work that you do on the Holy Post is around topics that Christians are wrestling with, struggling with, and you guys do a really great job of wrestling with the gray space. All that to say is this, when you think of the Enneagram, for you personally, how did you get to a place where you go, you know what, this thing is valid, this thing is not bankrupt, <laughs> this thing is actually worthwhile? Yeah. Well, anytime something can help you better understand yourself and the people around you, and suddenly it's like things that were hidden become visible, you know? And and, I mean, the easiest way to explain it is in parenting. When uh, you try to do the same thing with three kids and each one reacts differently to what you've done, 
And you say, why did they all react differently? And if there's a tool, you know, and it could be any tool, it could be Myers-Briggs. I remember we bumped into Myers-Briggs before we'd bumped into the Enneagram. It was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. My wife was always fascinated with that stuff. And I would typically stand at a slight distance and say, I'm skeptical. Um, because, right. you know, that's my nature. But then I would, I'm going to look at it. And if it actually makes sense, I'm not going to remain skeptical just out of pride because that's dumb. And what I hate most of all is doing things that are dumb. So I'll look into it. And if it actually works, then I'm going to adopt it. And, you know, it was pretty mm. early on of just reading more uh, about the types and it really helped me understand my wife because I couldn't figure out when we got married, I couldn't figure out why she was different people in different rooms, you know, with, mm-hmm. with, with different, it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's not who I married. Who is this Lisa? And it's because she was in this context and she adapted to that context to win over that room. That was so foreign to me it maybe was even less about understanding me because I wasn't in conflict with me and more about, you know, understanding others that I was in conflict with and who's more important Mm -hmm. than your spouse. Uh, That's where Mm -hmm. it became really, really kind of self uh, verifying. Mm -hmm. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Phil Vischer. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So... Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Hey, welcome back to the Unicast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. Okay, so we've been talking with Phil Vischer. Phil, let's talk a little bit about this whole big theme of desires. In Enneagram Theory... The core desire for the type five is to be competent, to be knowledgeable, to be truly wise, and to not continuously feel overwhelmed, neglected, incompetent, uninformed. Does all of that resonate with you? And do you have an early memory that maybe illustrates that desire? Yeah, all of that resonates. So when I was in high school, I literally, for a while, wanted to build a castle. 
hmm. for me to be in by myself. And so I read about castles and I tried to figure out, could you actually like go out in the woods? Because my grandpa had a ton of land up in, in rural Michigan. I thought I could go up there and I could build a castle back in the woods, just a little one. I don't need a big one. you know. And then I learned that the desire to encastle yourself is actually one of the marks of the type five. <laughs> like, I'm seriously, I'm like, sitting there wow. going like, you you could not have illustrated that with more clarity. And I yeah. it was a castle, but it didn't have to be a big one, but Castles no. by default are large. With, and was no. there a moat? Were you it wasn't the, a tent. It was a not castle. Not the cute ones. A around it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like the style and I think I like the feel of security, you know, of, yeah. of, of self-containedness that people can't just, I hate it when people just surprise me and walk into my life with issues and drop them on my mm. plate, you know, and I, and then I have to stop thinking about what I wanted to think about and I have to think yeah. about what they want me to think about. So if you have a castle, mm -hmm. you just pull up the drawbridge. You can't do that on a tent. Yeah. Tents feel vulnerable. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been in a you're tent. Defended. Yeah, yeah, if you're in a tent That's and there's amazing. a bear outside, you don't feel safe in a tent <laughs> with a bear. If you're in a castle with a bear outside, you look over the wall and you say, oh, look at the cute bear. See, entirely different <laughs> attitude. And life is, for, for me, life is full of bears, you know, that, and they want to uh -huh. come and they want to take my time and they want to take my resources. Now, I'll get back to your question now. What kind of desires did I have when I was a kid? I uh, Star Wars came out when I was 11. I absolutely love Star Wars. I had no desire to learn more about Wookiees or learn more about C-3PO. But I bet you wanted to understand how it was made. I like wanted to the... know how they did everything. And I went on a yes. quest. So I will so I will find something interesting, you know, like, oh, that's fascinating. And then I'll go on a quest to to master it, literally to know everything about it so that I could do the same thing. So I learned about optical printing and I learned about um, green screen and blue screen and sulfur screen filming. And I learned about motion control that they were developing at, at Lucasfilm. You know, and other kids were like, I want a T-shirt with a Wookiee on it. <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. and I, I literally, mm -hmm. I, I took two old Super 8 millimeter film projectors, took them apart and built a two-headed beam splitting optical printer in my basement in high school um, so that I could wow. do my own special effects. So as a kid, my <laughs> desires have always been about mastery so I could make something, understand something and then produce something. Hmm. Hmm. That's so good. We see a lot of people know what they want. They know their desire and they just go after it. They can do what they want. They can find their desire. But then we see a lot of other people are much less comfortable with acknowledging and naming their desires. So where would you put yourself on that spectrum? How comfortable are you with knowing what you want and then also pursuing what you want? Or maybe even like, you know, in contrast to when you were younger, you know, like mm -hmm. how comfortable were you naming it younger versus now? How has that journey changed? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's changed very much. I was always pretty comfortable saying, you know, this is, this is what I'm thinking about right now and this is what I want to do. I have zero interest <laughs> in knowing things just, you know, just to show off that you know them. It's to apply it practically. You know, it's so I can mm -hmm. write about that topic or talk about that topic on the podcast or understand how we got here, whether it's, you know, learning the history of premillennial dispensationalism or learning the history of racism in America. 
is like something just gets stuck in my craw and it's like, I want to master that topic and I won't stop until I've done it. And, and that was when I was a kid, I got interested in motorcycles at one point because my friend had a motorcycle. And so I just started learning everything there was to learn about different brands of motorcycles. Um, but it's always for a, for a purpose. And, you know, and I don't, I don't feel like I ever thought that that wasn't a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have just a, a quick follow-up to that that just came to mind is, I mean, a lot of fives I know are really serious, but Phil, you have found a way to be an expert while also being pretty silly. Like you can really put yourself out there, be goofy. Like you said earlier, be, you know, play the dumb person so that Sky can be the expert. You know, you made a children's cartoon show. So can you talk to me a little bit about that, that some people they feel dumb when they act really silly. So how yeah. have you kind of made a balance with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I've I've always enjoyed making people laugh, you know, ever since I was a kid. It was to, to come up with a joke at the dinner table that made the rest of the family laugh was like a, a rush, you know, like, oh, that, that was really fun. I want to do that again. <laughs> um, what I don't like is stupid humor. You know, and that's, I think that's why I was attracted uh, to more to British humor as a kid. And then I started bumping into uh, Monty Python, British humorists. And it was like, oh, wow, wow, you can be smart and funny. <laughs> you don't have to be mm-hmm. stupid to be funny. You can be smart and funny. Maybe it was the gift of the British, you know, the gift of John Cleese and Eric Idle and Terry Gilliam. Um, but I never associated humor with a lack of intelligence. Mm, mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on this, though, because you've talked about the journey from being in a place in life where at one point, you know, you would have been very contentious to go, I'm, I'm going to live in a world of ideas. And yeah, it's got people in it, but the ideas are really what's, you know, most beautiful and captivating. You touched on this briefly, which was that your family suffered some very significant loss in your childhood and that that you interpreted those events in a particular way that reinforced some of this tendency to go into a world of ideas that was not dependent on other people. I'm going to imagine that at some level that your journey towards people over the last however many years at some level also included the ability to begin to name some of those things in your childhood and and the way that those things shaped you. Um, yeah. Is that yeah. true? Does that feel yeah. true? I mean, naming, naming the things in my childhood came first, you know, just as a way of saying, I'm carrying around a lot of hurt. And part of that was when I married Lisa and, and her family was just incredibly introspective. You know, they would just sit around. I mean, my family likes to joke. Her family likes to talk about their personalities. You know, like what? That's not funny. <laughs> what do you even? What? Is, that's not a fun party. Um, but you cannot be in her family and not be exposed to deep introspection. So you know, so we started off pretty early in our marriage with her at some point saying, "Okay, we really need to talk about your father and your relationship <laughs> with him," which led to me driving up to my dad's house when I was twenty three, you know, and sitting down with him and, and for the first time saying, you know, there's, there's a part of me that is still a nine-year-old boy wondering why his father left. 
and, and watching my dad just dissolve into tears and then spending an hour talking about all that. That sort of healing happened because my wife, you know, refused to not poke on those things and say, I think you need to look a little more at what, at what happened with your dad. And so I've, I looked at that. I didn't necessarily, it took longer to get to the point of saying, and I'm going to risk it again with people. And for me, <laughs> this is interesting. When people in my immediate family hug, when I hug my siblings or my mother, we don't lean into each other. I do not hug people in a way where if they backed up, I would fall down. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I always want to be upright and standing, even if the other person doesn't keep up their end of the deal, uh -huh, even if uh -huh. the deal is a hug. Uh -huh, so I'm very uh -huh. happy with my kids completely leaning on me, you know, and hugging mm -hmm. into me so that I have to be strong for them. I have a really hard time doing that with anyone else. What is your advice for fives, you know, when they're searching for their desire, searching for boundaries around you know, well, how far can I lean into my own desires and neglecting relationships, et cetera? You know, what is, what is the advice that you would give to, say, some younger fives who are just kind of starting out on their journey? What would you say? You're not a brain in a box. Mm. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's really where it starts. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you know um, Asleep at Last, you know, the guy who made all the songs about the Enneagram? Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, Sleeping at Last, last yeah. is that what it is? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, coffee with him and he was about to work on the five song. And he said, I want to put some noises in there that would reflect the five. Do you have any suggestions? I said, the noise of a hard drive writing data. That's how we can mistakenly view ourselves as a, I'm just a hard drive and, and my life is all in ones and zeros of data, you know, and information. And if I can get all the information, then I'll be happy. But the, if the information stays there, it's, the, the information is useless. So I need to be a whole person that shows up. I, I became an elder at my church, which I really did not want to do. It sounds really unappealing and it's really not enjoyable, but I did it intentionally to make myself a whole person that shows up as a physical presence in relationship mm. with other yeah. people and invests in their lives. So forcing yourself, you know, out of the castle, out of the library, uh, join a team, join a book club, join an elders board, volunteer, you know, to see the difference that your gifting can actually make on other people's faces and then you realize that they can also make a difference in your life. And that's really cool. And pursue that and you'll mm -hmm. actually become a whole person and not just a hard drive. Mm -hmm. It is good. Yeah. I mean, you're just talking about moving past sort of philosophical generosity and into actual actions of generosity, relational generosity. Yes, that are, that are reciprocal. People. That are reciprocal. That's so good. Don't pretend you don't have any needs. You know, it is a desire mm -hmm. for me to not have any needs. That is a desire. It's a lie, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's a desire. But it's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you can hold yourself up with, you know, with your news feed and whatever theology book you're so excited about <laughs> reading next so you can tweet about it. And you've completely isolated yourself and then you will shrivel. 
you know, your brain will expand, mm-hmm. the, your heart will shrivel. And you don't want that. That's not good. This is not, this, you're not just happy from having a giant brain. You, you're, you're quite often arrogant from having a giant brain, unless you also have a giant heart that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And people that have big brains and big hearts that are working together change the world in a positive direction. You know, that's Mr. Rogers. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's what a five can do if their heart is online, is intake information, assess the state of the world, and actually reach out and touch people with solutions based on real needs. You know, and have your needs met too, <laughs> after you've admitted that you have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to play Your Worst Nightmare with Phil Vischer. Yay! We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story, plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click Store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the Indiecast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't let me introduce myself. (laughs) Phil's here. Phil's here, everybody. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce the game, and then you can give us a little reaction or a little musical version of this. So the game is called Your Worst Nightmare. That was good. Uh, okay, so Phil, grab something to write with. If you don't have anything, grab something to write with. He has a pretty big brain. He probably can just. He hold probably it could just hold it. I, I know. know. I had to. I didn't know there was homework. Man. You can just use your brain or your. Okay. Phone. Okay. What is it? What right, am I writing? Here, here we. Here we go. The game is called Your Worst Nightmare. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or head over to PressmanToy.com. Okay, so Phil, here's how the game works. Each round, there are four cards. Lindsay is going to read us what is on the cards. Then you're going to rank those four things by how afraid of them you are. Number one being the thing you were the most afraid of, all the way down to number four being the thing that you're the least afraid of. You're going to write your answers down. At the same time, I am going to try to rank the order in which I think that you're afraid of those things. For every one that I get right, I get a point. If I get all four correct, then I get five points. We're going to play three rounds. And at the end of the game, if I have nine points or more, I win. But if I uh, do not have nine points or more, then you win. Uh-huh. Are you ready? All right. Give me the cards. Give me the cards. Okay. Round one. First thing is karaoke. Number two, being watched. Number three, crowds. Number four, running out of gas. Hmm, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, my answers will be different than many fives because of who I am. This may surprise you. Number one, being watched. Mm. Do not like the sense that, like even when I was in high school, walking through the cafeteria and the notion that eyes are on you would always kind of freak me out. I'd like mm-hmm. to be invisible. I wear mm-hmm. little tiny weird things rather than really big weird things, like a, a weird shirt, you know, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll wear shoes with a little bit of orange on them mm-hmm. because I like to be expressive, but not so much that I attract attention. So I rank that as number two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so hey, that's that pretty good. Uh, number two, running out of gas. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't like that at all. That's way worse than gum. Yeah, it is because it really messes with your plans. Number three, karaoke. I don't, I've done karaoke because I'm a voice actor, you know, it's not that bad. And I do a lot of singing. And number four, crowds. I don't really have a problem with crowds if I can be anonymous in them. Mm. See, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I got this all wrong. I got zero points. I thought you'd be most afraid of crowds. But here's what I was thinking of. When I was thinking of crowds, maybe crowds, I had the wrong mindset i was thinking of uh of like when you have to go to a party and you just have to mingle that's different uh, yeah that's that's different social crowds social settings is like my my actual worst nightmare oh never mind go to the next round and i'll tell you what my actual worst nightmare is when we're done okay all right round two number one mimes number two snakes number three potluck dinners Number four, telling a joke and no one laughs. laughs. Oh, this one's hard. This is hard. Are you ready, cowboy? Uh, ready. Okay. My number one is actually telling a joke and getting no that's laughs. Did you say that? Boom. That's what yeah, I said. So if you d- you weren't listening, if you didn't. Yeah. That really, stand-up comedians, you know, if they're, if they're really a certain kind of stand-up comedian, some will actually say, I kind of like it when I bomb, you know, it's kind of fun. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? There's some weird, I don't know, reverse psychology going there that I do not have. If I think I've come up with something funny and I put myself out there, you take, every time you try to make people laugh, you're taking a risk. You know, mm-hmm. you're putting yourself on the line and to completely bomb really does not feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two, potlucks. And that's a very close, mm-hmm. very close mm-hmm. number two is potlucks <laughs> because of just the social awkwardness of small talk with mm-hmm. people that you may not have any legitimate connection with. I got that wrong. When I was a kid and we had potlucks, I would, you just go, you know, you try to get there before the bucket of KFC is empty, grab a chicken leg and go over in the corner and eat it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. a caveman chewing on it by yourself. Um, number three would be mimes because mimes intrude on your personal space and can in some cases call you out and ask you to look dumb in front oh, of others. Yeah. Well, they don't exactly call you out. Silent calling. They more point at you. you or yes, you can call you in without, a box. You can call without words because you can say, come over here and be a part of this little routine with me and I'm in control and you're not and I can make you look as dumb as I want to. See, that's the unspoken message mm-hmm. of a mime and snakes mm-hmm. yeah you cannot run snakes not a big deal <laughs> all right i got i got a whopping one you can't, you can't outrun mimes that's the issue you can't you outrun can't, a mime you can't outrun a potluck 
<laughs> Somebody else we said potluck, and they also put it like really high. I don't yeah. remember who it was because they're yeah. just like, you don't even know what's in those things. Oh, and heck, it's not about the food. <laughs> what kind of person was that? It's about the people. <laughs> okay, last round. Okay. Number one, puppets. Number two, forgetting your spouse's birthday. Number three, tracking your personal information. And number four, being attacked by bats. There's a lot going on in this one. Wait, tracking personal information. Someone else tracking my personal information or me keeping track of my personal information? Someone else tracking it, I think. It doesn't yeah, someone, say. Someone else tracking it. Okay. Like, you know, the cookies on your computer. Like, they're just, yeah. Somebody's tracking all your stuff. Yeah, like puppets would be my nightmare. That's funny. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Um, my number one is forgetting my wife's birthday. <laughs> I was hoping I was hoping that that Good would man. be what you Good said. Good <laughs> man. Yeah. That okay. was the right answer. Occasions are much more important to her than they are to me. Mm-hmm. I tend to live for the everyday for routines, you know, that let me stay in my head. Special occasions require me to come out of my head. Yep. <laughs> and so it's very easy for me to fail to do that, and that doesn't go over well. So that's an mm-hmm. easy, easy number one. Number two, I, I, uh, here's the deal. I mean, I do puppets for a living, so that's number four. I think mm-hmm. bats are kind of fun. We have bats uh, that live near our house, and the grandkids and I will sit out in the evening and watch them fly over our heads, and, and that's mm-hmm. fun. So puppets are four, bats are three, so that leaves tracking personal info at number two. I generally don't want my personal info tracked, I guess. Who does? Yeah. But some people are they, they're like paranoid about it. Like I have um, Echo devices in my house, mm-hmm. and I've got friends that will come over, and some friends that are like high five. They mute every device that they can find in my yeah. house. They do not. Yeah, I'm not like it. that. I'm not like yeah. that. So so number one is number one, and everything else is just kind of number four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got all those correct. Oh! So I got, so I got four, so extra point five, so six total, Still, which means... I win. You lose. Phil, you win. Congratulations. I win. I and now to, you get to tell us your worst nightmare. A trip oh, yeah, to Puerto Rico! <laughs> okay. That doesn't um, seem like his worst nightmare. <laughs> my worst nightmare that I've lived, my son, whom I love, wanted to be in the Boy Scouts. So, and that means dad has to come along for things. And it didn't last very long. It only lasted like two years. And we only did one, what was supposed to be a camp out. But it wasn't really a camp out. It was going to a big cabin in Wisconsin somewhere with 10, uh, I don't know, third grade boys and 10 dads, suburban dads. And And the third grade boys would all go out into the woods to do things and the 10 suburban dads who did not know each other at all would sit in the cabin in folding chairs in a circle and stare at each other. Mm-hmm. And it was the most hideous thing. <laughs> so <laughs> mm-hmm. No one had anything in common. There were no topics that engaged the whole group in one direction. The leader mm-hmm. was was confused because he couldn't get anything to happen with that group 
we just sat there. It was it was painful. It was like it's painful. Like the third level of hell. It's just that that sort of uh, suburban dad small talk misery. Yes. <sighs> yes. I had that experience. My son wanted to be in the Cub Scouts, and I resisted until my wife finally said, listen, it's not about you. He mm. wants to do it. And so I said, fine, he can do it. And then they didn't have a leader after a few years. So oh, guess no. what joker they put in charge. No. So now all of a sudden I'm in charge. And then finally we go on this camping trip. And uh, I'm sitting around and all the boys are having the time of their life. And I'm sitting to listening to these conversations that I could care less about, about topics that mean nothing to me. And yeah. I was so, that was the, that might be the only thing I'm glad when the pandemic hit. Because it hit, and I said, oh, sorry, I can't do it anymore, and we dropped Oops. out. All done, bye. Drew, my husband, his mom was his Cub Scout leader, and because his dad oh, is a Enneagram 5. And <laughs> so it ain't going to happen. Think, I think, yeah, that, that what happened there was like, uh, no. <laughs> uh-huh. Man. Uh-huh. This week at Cub Scouts, I'm handing out some books. We're going to read them for an hour, yes, and then we're going to go home. <laughs> read to yourself. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, you can write a book report them. if you want to, but frankly, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger goal here is learn something and leave me alone. Yes, yes. Everyone into a bubble of information consumption. Their own bubble. We do not share a bubble. <laughs> oh my God! My father-in-law is actually like super dear, but I do think that's funny. <laughs> uh, all right, and now it's time for eleven quick questions. Okay, Phil, you can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Okay. Number one, where is a place you feel relaxed? Anywhere warm where I can be by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is a food that you hate? Olives. What stirs up joy? Um, learning new things that matter. Mm. What stirs up sadness? Being unable to help people that I love. Mm. What is the last book you read and enjoyed? The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism by Daniel Hummel. Hmm. What is the last book that you read and you did not enjoy? My last three attempts at reading fiction. Oh, sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel like this show, I should enjoy this. And then it's like, I'm kind of bored. Is it okay if I just stop reading this on chapter three? <laughs> if you could own an unusual pet, what would it be? Something that left me alone. <laughs> See, that's the thing with pets. They, they do not leave you alone in your bubble of information acquisition. What is your coffee shop order? Half sweet mocha. Mm. Yeah. What is one personal vice you want to get rid of? Um, avoiding people. Mm. I still have a tendency to like, oh, I think I know them. I'll look down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is the one thing that you would convince the world of if you could? That uh, the Christian view of the world actually makes sense and that Jesus' teaching is actually revolutionary. Hmm. What is one current desire that you have? <sighs> to figure out how to keep making stuff in a world where it's becoming easier and easier to make stuff, but harder and harder to get paid for doing so. 
Mm-hmm. Especially stuff for mm-hmm. kids for some reason. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Phil. Talk uh, to you later. Super fun talking with yeah. you. And you as well. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Phil Vischer. I mean, what could be said about Phil? There are so many ways in which he has blessed so many people for decades now. If you really want to keep up to date with what he is currently doing, check out the Holy Post podcast. We have done a couple of partnership episodes with them over on the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. We deeply appreciate their work that they're doing about how to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. So you can keep up with Phil and all the work that he is doing by heading over to holypost.com. Also, thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram and also about desire. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. You can experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.